is caught. It's history. A Cardinals four-game sweep of the Cubs and Wrigley for the first time since 1921. St. Louis back in the postseason. First time since 2015. A Wrigley Field massacre. And how sweet it is. And Bader launches one out to deep left. Into Big Matt Lynn and he hit the painting. He hit the painting for Fred Bird. You've got to be kidding me. To podcast uh, for Birds on the Black here, Conversations with Saruti. Uh, this is season two, episode five. Uh, we have been doing a lot of talking about prospects lately here in this space, uh, Cardinals prospects with Kyle Reese, our resident expert over at Birds on the Black. But today I want to deviate from that just a bit. Um, it's going to be a little less St. Louis Cardinals centric today for listeners uh, that, that are accustomed to following us today. I've got the pleasure of having my first ever major leaguer on the show, which is really cool for me. Um, today's conversation is going to take place with a Chicago White Sox rookie third baseman in DH, Jake Berger. Jake grew up in the St. Louis area. My parents and his parents were good friends. Uh, they taught together. Uh, Jake grew up playing in St. Louis. He uh, went to DeSmet High School. So sorry, any slew boys who listen to this podcast. Today we are a DeSmet podcast. Um before going to Missouri State and playing for the Bears there. At Missouri State, Jake had over a 1,000 OPS for his career, and in, the, and in 2017, he got drafted by the White Sox as the number 11 overall pick. Uh, as the St. Louis boy and as a friend of my family, I was hoping the Cardinals would have a chance to get him in the first round, but he didn't last nearly long enough for that. Um Jake had a long, tough road, and I'm going to let him explain that to you here in a minute, but because of various injuries, in 2021, this past season, he was able to play 15 games in the regular season for Tony La Russa and the White Sox. Jake hit 263 with a 333 on base and a 474 slugging, so over an 800 OPS with five extra base hits out of his 10 total hits, and he, he impressed them enough to join the team's taxi squad for the first-round matchup against the Houston Astros in the playoffs this year. Uh, Jake, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> Good. How's the fam? They're doing well. Doing well. Yeah, they uh, get to see them over the holidays, so I'm really excited for that and, uh, you know, share some laughs and uh, some memories. All right. Well, when you see them uh, this weekend, uh, make sure you tell your mom thanks for the hookup. Um, before I begin, begin asking you questions, uh, did you want to go into any of those various injuries or other other things that led to your path to the majors being a bit unique? Yeah, no, it's it's been kind of a wild ride. Um, the I got drafted in 2017, as you said, but um, the I went to big league spring training in 2018, which was going to be my first full season, um, and ended up tearing my Achilles. Um, it was our fourth game in spring training, um, running down first the first base line against the uh, Oakland Athletics and. Uh, it popped. So, uh, that happens. And then, um, like two months after that, um, I'm just at home walking in sandals and, um, it, it tears again. So, uh, kind of a crazy path. And then I kind of dealt with some nagging stuff, like different bone bruises and stuff over the next two years. And then, um, 2020, um, during the pandemic, there was like a college league going on, uh, in St. Louis. And 
I was my first baseball back. Um, and I, it was like seven inning games and my dad was the coach. So it was like, it, it was just kind of like a cool experience, you know, kind of bringing me back to my childhood a little bit. And then, uh, 365 days later, I'm uh, playing for the Chicago White Sox in uh, Detroit. So uh, it's kind of been a wild ride, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't change any of those injuries. Um, you know, I, I think it gave me a lot of perspective. And, um, you know, I, I definitely battled some some depression and anxiety during that time. And, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, like I'm better for, for everything I went through. Awesome. I mean, what, what a cool story that is. Like 365 days later, just collegiate league summer collegiate league during covid to the majors and and you hadn't been above oh i don't have it up right now you hadn't been above double a at that point yet had you uh so i i played in low a my first year and then i think i was supposed to go to high a but like kind of skipped both high a and double a and like went straight okay. to triple a okay in 20 this year 21 yeah mm-hmm. okay so you hadn't played above high a before the collegiate league and then yeah, triple A in the majors. All of a sudden, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so I, I know you could probably just give us the corporate line on the collective bargaining process going on right now, which uh, probably wouldn't be too interesting to my listeners. Is there anything else you wanted to put out there before we get into um, the the rest of the podcast? The questions I've got for you? No, not really. I mean, like you said, it'd be pretty uh, pretty blanket answer. So <laughs> we can move on. All <laughs> okay. So as a teacher like your mom, uh, you can probably guess that I way over prepared for this. So if you need to get out of here at any point, if I'm talking too much, let me know. Um, but uh, growing up in St. Louis, were you more of a Cardinals fan or just a fan of baseball? Or was it a little bit of column A and kind of switched to column B at some point? Um, I was definitely so I grew up um, being both a White Sox fan and a Cardinals fan. Um I, th- I think I remember I was in in a batting cage and um, there was this guy from Chicago that that always came down and gave lessons and stuff. And he'd kind of put your video next to like a major league comp. Um, and it was always Paul Canerco for me. And so, like, I absolutely love Paul Canerco because of that video. And like <laughs> I started like rooting for the White Sox more. Um, and I always say, like, they kind of stole my heart first because they went in 05 and then the Cardinals went in 06. But um, it, it was kind of like a mix. Like I always loved watching Scott Rowland. Um, he grew up in my dad's hometown and his dad coached my dad in, uh, high school baseball. So, um, I always, always liked those, like Scott Rowland, obviously you got to love Albert Pujols and, uh, Lance Berkman, you know, and then, uh, going into like 2011, I actually went to the David Freeze walk-off game. Um, so it's just like, it was really cool because I, I was a fan of both and they were both good at the time. And, um, obviously I'd probably say I was more of a fan of teams rather than the sport at the time. Um, but as I grew older, I became more of a a fan of the sport as well. Now I was 16 years old to 31 years old when Tony La Russa was managing the St. Louis Cardinals. You, you were a bit younger than me then, but, um, (laughs) obviously with the timeline you just laid out, you were a fan of his teams in St. Louis and, and now you got to play under him. Um, how, how was that? It was, it was really fun. Um, it's intimidating for sure. Uh, I mean, you step on the bus for the first time. Uh, we were in Detroit when I made my debut and I had to ride the first bus because all rookies do. And you step on the bus and Tony's sitting in the front row and you're like, holy cow, like this is weird. <laughs> and, 
uh, he, he pulled me into his office when we got off the bus and he's like, Hey, just attack the fastball. You know, they're going to come after you, like just attack. And so like, he's, he's really, really awesome. Like he, he's always looking out for the team. Like he makes it a very family oriented, uh, clubhouse. So it's like, it's us against the world, you know? And so that's really cool to see and just kind of pick up on tips and, and tricks that he's learned over his, his entire baseball tenure, which is a while. So, uh, it's, it's a great person to learn from and, and really cool to go to battle with. So how do you, how did, uh, how did the White Sox and how did La Russa kind of deal with the, with the taxi squad? How, how did that work for you guys that, did you get to sit on the bench during the big games? Were you in the bullpen? Were you in the press box? How, how'd that work? And, and what experience did you get just from that playoff run in general? It, it was really cool. Cause, um, at the start of like when we were practicing in Houston um, before game one, uh, they were saying, Hey, here are your tickets. Like you're not going to be able to sit in the dugout um, like all this. And then like Liam Hendricks and and Giolito uh, went, went up to Tony and was like, Hey, like these guys were a part of it this year too. Like they, they impacted some games. So let them sit in the dugout. And Tony was all like on board with that. Um, and so, like, we got to sit in the dugout during playoff baseball, which is like it, it was mind-boggling a little bit. And, yeah, you know, you're, you're friends with a lot of these guys that that are playing, like Gavin Sheets for me and stuff like that. But like, you just never really expect to be sitting in a in a clubhouse and in a dugout uh, during during an ALDS game. And um, you know, that atmosphere is just something else. Um, I, I would say, like. Out of all the American sports I've been to, like playoff baseball is is the best, and especially when you're in the dugout, like it it really feels like a English soccer game. Um, in that and like that energy is just unmatched, and um, you learn a lot though. I mean, you, you learn how to kind of handle your nerves and um, just kind of how guys are acting uh, throughout throughout the day and, and going into the game after at bats, and so you kind of just sit back and just kind of take it all in. And, and it's definitely something that I'll use going forward. Yeah, I know that uh, this is a very rudimentary comparison because, you know, I'm a moron sometimes. But uh, like I know when my dad coached varsity softball even in the St. Louis area that the end of the year tournaments, there were always any JV players that he thought might have a possibility of getting into the game on the bench just to experience it or any, anybody who, even if they didn't have a chance, you know, if he's got an all state catcher and you know, the next best bet who's going to be the starter next year is a JV. They were up for, for that game, you know, just to, just to have that, that experience. And and that's kind of what I would equate that to you for you guys. I mean, you guys are the guys who are coming up and going to be there the next couple of years. Um, before we get too much into the next couple of years with the White Sox, I want to rewind back to Missouri State. So at Missouri State, your teams were a total of 130 and 53. And then you got to the majors and all of a sudden you're in the playoffs. Have you ever, when's the last time you were with a team that wasn't like stellar? <laughs> I mean, I would say our, our AAA team this year wasn't wasn't great. I think we were like the worst AAA team in in all of AAA, not just, not just the East, but, um, it it is funny. Like you kind of start to put together if you're, if you're trying to make a baseball team great, like, especially at the professional level, like you see a lot of teams after like the drafts after super regionals typically. And there are probably 
eight to nine guys, eight to 10 guys that always get drafted off those teams. And so you look for guys that are always in a winning culture and know how to, to perform in that winning culture. So I think that like you look at Gavin sheets for us, like went to wake forest, like they played in a super regional and he got drafted in the second round in 2017. Like uh, Andrew Vaughn, you know, went to Cal, like they, they had good teams there and, you know, he won golden spike. So it's just like, you, you, you kind of start to formulate, if you're trying to formulate a team, you, you start picking team, good players, obviously, but also, also proven winners. Um, yeah, and good I, and players makes, off good teams. Yeah. It makes, it makes a clubhouse great. Um, but yeah, I would say uh, Charlotte wasn't, uh, wasn't the best <laughs> this year. So other than that, you know, it's, uh, I just like to ride the coattails of uh, the big league club and just say that that was my team this year. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, Speaking of those most eight guys, uh, I know a few of them are on the cusp of a major league debut. Jeremy Ironman, John Harris, Tate Matheny. Um, I know Dylan Coleman. I live in Kansas City now, so I know Dylan Coleman just made his debut with the Royals this year. Um, it, those are kind of the guys that you're talking about. I mean, that's five guys, just with including you, five guys from Missouri State that that are close or already in the majors. And, and I'm sure there were more that were drafted. I just didn't uh, look everybody up. Um, by the way, if this conversation goes well, feel free to tell them, the, those guys, buddies of yours, that this random Cardinals and Royals fan who likes to talk baseball has a podcast, and <laughs> they can feel free to join. I will. Um, Plug the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so um, were you ever contacted about major or by major league teams coming out of high school or prior to Missouri State? Uh, I know that uh, I, I don't believe you were drafted out of high school, but how much contact did you have back then? Uh, not much. I mean, um, out of high school, I think it was my junior year. I, I sprained my ankle pretty bad um, and didn't really play that summer. And obviously, I think your your junior summer in high school is, is probably the most important. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't, didn't really get a lot, like didn't get power five offers. I got like two power five offers um, for college. And so like, pro teams were never really on me. Um, and then it just kind of like turned around in, in a blink of an eye. But um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting when you, when you talk about high school draft picks and um, you know, it's just, you, you got to make sure that these guys are coming like ready and, and mature, you know, going into pro ball. Cause they're going to get a lot of money. Um, they're, they're going to sign a big contract and, and then they're on their own for the first time and rather having a, a team of, of kids going into college that are all the same age, like you could be playing with 24 year olds and, and you're kind of just on your own. So um, I, I'm kind of glad I, I went to college and didn't really have that opportunity um, just because of the memories I made at Missouri State, but also it, it helped me mature uh, before getting to, to professional baseball. When did you first really begin to believe that the dream of being a professional ball player was something that was actually attainable and piggybacking on that. When did you first begin to believe that the dream of being in the actual major leagues was something that was attainable? <laughs> um, so I would say probably when was it 2016 um, when I got invited to play on team USA uh, over the summer, I think that's when I'm like, okay, like, professional baseball is definitely a, a realistic opportunity for me. If I'm getting invited for this, I mean, I look at the team before me and it's like Bregman and Swanson and just all these guys. And like, not one of them went 
past the seventh round in the, in the following draft. So I kind of figured, okay, I'm, I'm a part of this. And then I start having meetings with teams, like different psychological meetings and, and different, like just actual meetings with scouting directors and everything and eye tests and the whole, the whole nine. But, um, the, the bigly question, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you heard my story and like going from the <laughs> collegiate league to, to the big leagues is kind of, kind of wild. Um, I, I, I really didn't think it was a possibility until like probably a week before I got called up. Cause I was like, at that time I was hitting like three thirty and just absolutely like hitting the cover off the ball. Like my OPS for like the three week period was like over a thousand. Like it was, it was kind of like video game numbers. And I'm like, okay. It was like being back at Missouri state. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm like, okay, <laughs> well th- now I have a possibility to uh, maybe force a call up here. And uh, fortunately I, I was uh, a week later, but no, I never really like have that many expectations like going into seasons and, um, because you just never know, like a lot of it's out of your control. Um, you, you can obviously control how you hit and, you know, all, all your numbers on, on what you're doing and if you're taking care of yourself off the field as well. But um, a lot of the decisions aren't you. So, um, you know, you just got to kind of take that in stride and just constantly focus on, on your craft. And uh, fortunately enough, I, I worked on it enough and, and got the call up. So let's talk more about that time in the majors. Um, publicly available data uh, is really only available for major leaguers. So I can't talk about your time in the minors with the advanced stats and all that, but advanced stats at the major league level in that time you had there showed you had a top 5% in the league max exit velocity off your bat. Um, how much have you paid attention to like those regular stats you were kind of spouting off with over a 330 average OPS over a thousand and, and more advanced stuff uh, like exit velocities and all that? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really focus on um, like the, the OPSs and, and the average and stuff. Um, I kind of look at more, you want to look at like war Process. and WRC plus and stuff like that. Um, just because it kind of gives you more of a read on how, how your season's going. Um, I would say like exit velocity is, is a really big focus in my game. Um, you know, being a power hitter, like you obviously want to hit your optimal exit velocity every time you, you make contact on the barrel. Um, and so that's kind of been a focus over the last year, uh, especially in the off season training. So I can obviously keep increasing that. Um, but it's not all about exit velocity. You know, I could hit the ball into the ground every single time at a, at 110 miles an hour and I'm going to be out majority of the time. So then that kind of comes into the, the launch angle and, and kind of hitting it in your optimal, you know, the, the 15 to 25 range at uh, 95 plus and stuff like that. You kind of like, you, you start picking and choosing what, what's important to you and what is important, but also giving you results. So um, I, I like to look at the analytics, especially on the side of like pitch recognition. And if I am, chasing in certain counts more than not. And so being able to be cognizant of that and like obviously make my decisions and change my approach based off of that. Um, like this year going, going into next season, um, we, we kind of looked at my analytics on swing and miss and there's like a portion of the zone. It's like the top fifth of the zone where I'm getting beat by fastballs. And so now the approach changes to, me kind of shutting down on those pitches and not even swinging at them. They can be strikes, but like I, I obviously am not optimal at hitting those. So 
kind of shutting that down. So that's kind of what, where I use the analytics. Um, it's more like swing and miss and different patterns I can pick up and different patterns that pitchers are using too, you know, before every game, like you do go through a scouting report and it's like, all right, this guy throws a, a slider 90% of the time in a two, two count. So then you're, you're aware of that going into the box and, and going into a two, two count. And it's like, okay, I, I might just sell out on slider here and I got to see it at a certain height and a certain level for me to actually swing at it. How much did the, the, the advanced stats, like the technology that you use for all that, how much did that change between college minors majors? It's, it's crazy. Like I, so once I got hurt, like I obviously missed like two, two and a half years and it's like, the game absolutely changed like completely over that time period. Um, you know, we're starting to use like 40 motion sensors and like different like tools that we have in our lab. And it's like, dude, I, I remember the days where I'm just going outside, putting a tee on the plate and hitting, you know? Um, but it, it's changed a lot. And I, I think it's definitely helped um, a lot of people. I think it hurts some, some guys. I don't think, uh, hitting wise, but I think some pitchers have been hurt by it, you know, wanting an optimal spin rate on a fastball or, or optimal IVB carry type stuff. Um, but I, I think it, it helps the hitters a lot and um, it, it gives us a lot more information on, on stepping in, doing the hardest thing in sports, in my opinion, is round bat, round ball, you know? So uh, it gives us a little, yeah. little more of an edge. And um, so, yeah, it's... Yeah, especially it's, when pitchers are optimizing their spin rates to match their, you know, match their approach angles and all that. Exactly. So. No, it's it's really interesting oh, when you start d- diving deep into that. And like, you know, I think I remember a time at the beginning of the season where I'm like, okay, this guy's spin rate is this, like that's way too high. And then by the end of the season, like... I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's that's an average fastball now, you know. So it's like you, you start learning and you start learning like what every pitch starts looking like, and it uh, definitely helps your approach. So sticking with the advanced stats, but maybe moving away from from hitting a little bit. Um, you're a pretty big guy. You're not you're not tiny by any means. So Baseball Reference has you listed at six two two thirty. I mean. Maybe it's just me being old school, but that sounds like a linebacker, not a third baseman. Uh, although I did see Scott Rowland up close, so maybe I'm <laughs> being dumb. But that could lead people to believe that you're just kind of a lumbering hitter. But advanced stats don't only show that you have a sprint speed that's basically in the top one-third of baseball this year, but also that at third base, you're outs above average. You, you, you were plus one in just 62 innings, so basically seven baseball games. Um, I know you also worked in the minors this year at become vers- becoming versatile at second base. Um, how important do you use your all-around game? Yeah, I, I mean, I always look at it. If I can't produce at the plate, if I'm having a bad night or, or a bad slump, I mean, you got you to gotta perform somewhere, right? And I, I always look at this, like my dad always told me growing up, like baseball is very similar to, to a high school prom. You know, you're, you're bringing – your day to the prom, but you, you can't be a mean, a mean dude. And you can't be a bad dancer at the same time. You know, you got to either be one or the other. So like you can be both, you can be both, but you know, so it's like, it's one of those things where if, if I'm not my best at the plate, like I'm going to focus even more on defense because it ultimately gets my mind off of the plate. 
but also I can, I can help my team win some games. So it's, it's really important to me. And I think that's kind of over the last year been, been a focus as well Is I mean, I lost like 30 pounds since my injury and, and I really kind of got after it in the gym. Um, you know, I, I bike every day, I hike probably three times a week. And so it's like being able to play multiple positions, being able to have the sprint speed I do. Um, you know, I, th- I think that's very important for me. And, especially at third base, you know, I, I think everybody kind of glosses over like, Oh, any short stock can move over to third base. Like third base isn't easy, you know, like you got to be able to stop 115 mile an hour batted ball at you, but you also got to charge in and, and get rid of it quick. So um, it's, it's definitely a very important part of, uh, of my game. And I, I take a lot of pride in, in the defensive side and also the speed side as well. Do you think power is your best tool? in the toolbox or do you consider a different tool your best? Yeah, I would say power is probably my best tool. Um, I, I think it just naturally, like I'm, I'm a power hitter and now I'm being, being able to have the tools to optimize that. So, um, I, I think it's definitely where I'm at now. Like I feel better power wise than I did in college even. So, um, it feels stronger and, and, you know, I, I start optimizing, my mechanics to, to even pr- promote more, more extra base hits and, and higher exit velocities. I think that's definitely probably my, uh, my top. What is your best tool that doesn't deal with hitting? Ooh, I would say probably my arm. Um, I, I have a pretty, pretty solid arm. I, I always, uh, like to say my sprint speed, uh, it, so we, we have a facility down here. It's, it's my agency and, uh, we got guys like Brent Rooker and Brandon Lau and Casey Mize and all these guys, uh, that are working out down here. And, uh, out of all the position players, I had the highest sprint speed. So I, uh, I remind everybody of that every day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, well, that took my quest. My my next question was underrated tools, so I think that one might answer that. Hundred percent. Those boys, those boys can uh, exactly. attest to it, I guess. Um, what tool of yours do you feel like maybe not needs the most work? But what have you been putting most of your time into to improve lately? Um, I wouldn't say like my hit tool. I, I think it's like a subsection of the hit tool, but just like plate awareness and zone awareness. Um, I've kind of always grown up knowing that I need to do damage to be who I am. Right. I, I need to swing the bat. Like I'm not a speed guy. I'm not going to, Oh, the numbers might say otherwise, but I'm not going to steal bags, you know? Um, so, you know, it's just, I, I would say probably my zone awareness, my plate awareness and, and swinging at the right pitches. And um, I actually kind of, it's, it's kind of crazy, but the last week we were playing Memphis actually. Um, and, I told my hitting coach, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to do a little like case study here and see if it works out. And I'm like, I'm going to take the first three pitches of every single at bat. And 95% of those at bats, I was in a two, one count. And so like, because power hitters, like guys kind of want to pitch around and you know, they, they don't want to give up the home run. So they're going to nibble on the corners and, and try and be more precise. And so like, now that I'm starting to recognize that it's like, okay, you have to hit the mistakes, but also like you don't want to give the pitcher an advantage on, on kind of a, a wipeout slider on a one, one count. Um, so I'd say that's probably where I need to improve. And that's been the focus of, uh, this off season, you know, doing some 
vision training, doing some virtual reality against uh, different big league pitchers. Um, and then also like we, we have a machine um, that you can put in any pitch in baseball and it'll like the exact same spin rate, exact same carry everything. Um, and that's amazing. Yeah. Like, and you can kind of set it up where you have at bats. And so like what we're, we're doing right now, obviously we're not in like the full swing of hitting, um, but we, we bunt like the strikes that we're going to hit. And then you take, the, the pitches that are kind of the wipeout pitches. And um, it's definitely helped my, my zone awareness so far. That's really awesome. I, I don't think I knew that tool existed mm-hmm. actually. So that's incredible. Uh, that's blowing my mind right now. I'm <laughs> a little bit phased. Um, so just a little joke. I think uh, with choosing to do the three pitch approach against Memphis might've been a good idea as people of the podcast had listened to me before um, the Cardinals organization below the major league level and even at the major league level for part of the season did not throw many strikes this year. So, um, well chosen on your part, but, but, uh, that's, that's a really neat approach. Just going into it with, uh, basically getting to a two, one count and seeing what you can do from there and making sure that you, you're getting the pitches to hit. That's, that's kind of a cool way to go about it. I like that a lot. Um, you talked a little bit about this earlier with that upper fifth of the zone, but what if, what, if any guidance have you received from like Tony La Russa or your batting coaches at the major league level or the front office from the White Sox in terms of your best path to stay with the MLB club in 2022? Hmm. I mean, I would say probably the main thing is cutting down the swing and miss end zone. Um, you know, power hitters are going to chase, you know, I mean, Juan Soto is just kind of on a different level um, in terms of that. Um, But you you look at guys that are comparable to me in terms of power numbers and and raw power numbers. And, you know, you're going to chase. I mean, these are the best pitchers in baseball and you're going to swing and miss. But the end zone, um, uh, this is kind of alludes to what we were saying earlier in terms of how the game has changed over the last few years. And like when I got hurt, it was two seams and sliders, right? And now you're seeing the, the the change over the last three years of high spin rate fastballs at the top of the zone with curveballs. Um, and so that I think obviously part of that, um, me missing that time hurt me a little bit in the, the terms of swing and miss, not recognizing pitches um, as, as early as I should um, because my eyes weren't acclimated to, to that style of pitching. Um, but yeah, I, I would say like the swing and miss end zone. Um, I hit fastballs pretty well, uh, like four, four fifths of the zone, but that top fifth, um, you know, it looks so good, but hitting a high spin rate fastball at 98, pretty tough to, to make contact with. Um, so yeah, just kind of shutting that down. And, um, you know, I've always hit off speed pretty well in zone. Um, and so I think that the other part of this is me, shutting down on, on the really good wipeout pitches that are out of the zone and, um, you know, do what I do in the zone. Um, I think my, my isolated slugging when, when I stay in the zones, like absolutely astronomical. And so it's just kind of, kind of one of those things where obviously you're going to swing and miss, but just cutting that down and being able to constantly create consistent contact. That's, uh, that, that's the important thing going into, uh, 2022 with the White Sox. 
So Cardinals fans listening to the podcast, that is what he's describing right there is what what Jake's doing a much better job of describing than I could is what we saw out of Tyler O'Neill this past season. Tyler O'Neill really did a good job of focusing on those pitches inside the strike zone and, and attacking those more often. And yeah, he's going to chase. He's a power hitter. But when he didn't, when he when he swung at those pitches in the zone, that's when he really made huge strides and became the team's three hitter instead of a five or six or seven or eight. And depending on how he was going that week, um, Cardinals fans are looking for that out of Harrison Bader this year, that change to end zone punishment. Um, so hopefully we'll see that. And hopefully Jake will see that up on the <laughs> South side of, of Chicago. Hopefully nobody on the North side of Chicago. Gets that. Um, <laughs> uh, so as a teacher and a coach myself, I wanted to kind of give you an opportunity here. Who are some other coaches you've had along the way that have helped you most at different aspects of your game? Not that, you know, they'll hear this shout out on this little Cardinals podcast, but uh, they deserve the recognition anyway. Yeah. I mean, uh, first and foremost, like my dad was probably my best, my best teacher and he knows my swing the best. Um, you know, I, I call him after every game and you know, it's, it's always, do you want to hear the bad stuff or the good stuff first? Um, and you know, he'll, he'll always kind of point me in the right direction if I'm struggling. Um, but I would say like my biggest transition period was 2015 to 2016. Um, it was my freshman year. I think I hit like 340 with like four home runs and the, and I always hit the ball hard, but it was just kind of on the ground. Um, and so, I started working with Nate Thompson, our hitting coach at the time. He's at Arkansas now. Um, and if you look at the teams he has down there now, they they absolutely just hit the cover off the ball. Um, so I started working with him. And we started doing a, a couple of drills and kind of optimizing my launch angle. And sure enough, like, I, and obviously I got stronger and I kind of stayed back at school and just lifted and hit. And Sure enough, like next year I hit like 21 home runs and the following year, 22, um, after I just had four in my freshman year. So I'd say he's probably one of my biggest, uh, biggest impacts on my career by far. Um, I'd say at the professional level, um, Mike Gellinger, he was, he was our, uh, hitting coordinator my first year. Um, and he worked with the 2005 team, the White Sox when they won the world series, um, so he's kind of accustomed to working with guys like Paul Canerco and Jim Tomey and, you know, a lot of, a lot of power hitters um, on that team. So mm -hmm. uh, he helped me a lot and kind of transitioning into pro ball and, and kind of how to, how to handle the everyday grind of it. Um, and then I'd say the last one would probably, well, I would say to Chris Johnson, um, he played for the Marlins for a while and for the Braves. Um, he was my triple A hitting coach this year. Um, and, okay. and he helped me just kind of understand, like, dude, you, you just take a step back. Like, it's not the end of the world if you go for four, like, two nights in a row. Like, you you have 350, 400, 500 of these. Um, so, you know, just kind of always staying present. He was really pro probably my, my best hitting coach in terms of, like, absolute feel and just understanding what's going on in our minds. Um, and then Hunter Bledsoe, who's one of my agents, but he also, like, kind of works with us hitting wise down here in Nashville um, has been the best in terms of optimizing my body um, in terms of my load and uh, you know, getting into my back hip rather than into my quad with my load. So I can use my hip for more power and uh, generating a quicker whip with my bat. Um, he, he's probably 
the best analytic uh, coach I've had. Awesome. That's really cool. So down at Missouri State, um, improving the not only your strength, but but your power output there with the now Arkansas coach. Um, what kind of drills do you do to optimize the launch angle? Because I think general perception of the public, when they hear launch angle, they go, they groan and go, oh, that's just hitting it high with strikeouts. What kind of things do you do to, to get that 15 to 25 range? Not everybody's looking for Joey Gallo, 40 degree. Yeah, helicopter. 7,000 foot homers. Yeah. Explain a little bit to us. Um, so the, the two main drills I did um, by myself, uh, John Malley wrote about them. Um, I, I think it was like a, a baseball newsletter or something like that. Um, and so you, you basically just take a tee, you, you mark it a certain distance away from the tee from the net, and then you, you bring out the tape measure and put it up the net, and you just put a piece of tape on, on the optimal, uh, like, I, I forget what the exact like inches were of each thing. And you just focus, like you just take 50 swings a day and just try and hit that tape. And like my bat was always flat through the zone. And like it, it, I didn't have to change my swing to do it. It just kind of like naturally kind of started understanding the muscle memory of, of where I need to hit this ball to get it to that tape. Um, so that was probably the, the main drill. Another drill was you do overhand, um, sitting down, uh, behind an L screen, you have a person like sitting down, throwing overhand and you, you basically just try and hit it at their head or higher. Um, and it simulates kind of like the direct angle that a fastball would be taking into the zone while also like creating on where I need to hit this. So I would, I would always do the T drill and then I would do that. Um, and then the other thing we did was um, at Missouri State, we would – it's just kind of like there's got to be a better way than this, but um, we, <laughs> we would tie a rope um, kind of up on the net all the way to the L screen and then all the way over to the like third base side. So they're like on both first and third base side, it's kind of hooked to the, the uh, net. And okay. it would be like kind of a certain distance off the ground and basically it was like – you have to hit that rope like every single time, wherever you hit it. And obviously like it gets higher as you go further to the foul lines. And so it's just kind of like where you want to optimize where, where your launch angle is going to be. And there's gotta be a better way of doing it, but I always liked that drill a lot. Um, And then I guess there were two skill drills that I would use um, that Nate Thompson brought as well. And one's like, you wrap a bat with a full uh, a, a full roll of tape, uh, like athletic tape, and it creates like this top heavy load. Um, and basically, just hit with that. Like, just take normal batting practice, and it ultimately kind of like shows your bat. Like, you feel your bat like kind of dragging down through the zone and being able to create like better launch angles because like it's it's kind of hard to get your hands on top of a ball when when you have that tape on, on the end load. So uh, that was, that was the other drill that I, I really enjoyed and still do to this day. Awesome. That's really cool. Thanks for the glimpse into, uh, into that yeah. mindset. That's really cool. <laughs> All right. You are a pitcher trying to get yourself out. What would you throw? And 
as the hitter, how do you combat that? Knowing that, you know, teams advanced scouts are doing that sort of thing all the time. Um, so for a righty, I would say uh, fastballs inside um, and changeups off of that, right? Right, changeups. I don't, I don't particularly see that pitch very well. Um, I damaged it probably. I, I think I hit a home run three times off of it this year, and it was just a poorly executed pitch um, that I kind of just ran into. But the other times, like I didn't even come close to like making hard contact, if contact at all. Um, so I would say that, um, th- those are probably the two pitches from the right hand side. And I mean, I think late, late in, in that bat, um, you know, two, two, three, two, um, you kind of go a, a tunnel with a, a fastball, like middle in, uh, to end, and then you kind of run a slider off of that, um, down and away. Um, it's tough for so many. Runs. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so that is probably the the main righty sequences and then lefty sequences. I would just probably say like fastballs up and in. Cause I, like the crossfire is very hard for me to see sometimes. Um, and off that up and in, uh, I kind of throw either a back foot curveball or slider off of that. Um, I see the change up from the lefty a lot better. And um, I really like going the other way. So uh, fastballs out, out over the plate away. Like I just kind of take the right center. Um but yeah, I mean, it's tough. Like when you look at all that, um, because you know, every team has that, that data. Um, and you kind of have to like, it's a cat and mouse game, you know? So it's like today I'm, I'm going to hunt slider. And, and then the next game, like they probably think you're still hunting slider and sitting on slider and they'll throw a fastball, uh, like the first pitch of that bat, like right down the middle. So it's just kind of like constant cat and mouse game and, and being able to, fine tune your approach day in and day out. Um, you don't want to get stuck with the same approach because the scouting reports will just kind of eat you alive. Um, and, and then you start looking at patterns cause we, we have it on them too. You know, it's like, like I said earlier, like they, they get in patterns. They, they do throw the same pitches in certain counts and they do do similar stuff when runners are in scoring position and stuff. Um, like I remember a specific, this is like a funny cat and mouse game, but, we were playing Durham and on the first game, this guy comes in, there's, there's runners on second and third I'm up. And then Gavin Sheets is on deck. He's a righty. And with runners in scoring position, he was 95% slider, like the entire at bat. And so both of us just sit slider. And I, I think I hit like a double and Gavin Sheets hit a double and it was like three easy runs for us. Then the next night, like, or two nights from it was a reliever. So um, I think it was like the, the third game of the series and he tries to sneak a fastball by us, both of us. And we, and we clip him because like we, he already knew that we were sitting on his slider before and now he's, yeah. now he's going to the fastball. But on the flip side that, that guy comes in like three, three weeks later we played Durham again and he literally only throws fastballs that entire game. Like doesn't even throw a slider <laughs> and blows us up. Like just absolutely carves. <laughs> so it's like it's a, it's a cat and mouse game always. And like you're gonna clip a guy, and then he's gonna have your number for a couple. And so I think that's the coolest part of analytics is like you you can start like knowing your numbers and then doing something completely different from it, um, and it, it throws off other teams. Yeah. What pitch did you see to hit your first major league homer? 
Uh, it was a fastball inside, which is funny because I don't like hitting that pitch very often. Um, <laughs> From a righty too, right? Yeah, righty. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. It was like literally like a painted fastball corner. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a fastball. Uh, I think I just kind of reacted to it and uh, hit, a, hit it pretty far away. So uh, that one felt pretty good. But then he, uh, that guy got traded to the Marlins and I got sent back down. We are playing uh, Jacksonville. And uh, he didn't throw me a fastball the next at bat and chucked me out. So it was a good little, <laughs> so it was a good like uh, one too. <laughs> I'll take the one in the majors over the one in the minors. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so Jose Abreu at first base for the White Sox um, is signed through this season. Yoan Mancada at third base is signed through twenty twenty four. Cesar Hernandez at second base has a club option for this year. Uh, Andrew Vaughn, you've mentioned Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Adam Engel, all fighting for plate appearances in three spots in the outfield. Yerman Mercedes, um, Gavin Sheets, who you've mentioned a bunch, all looking for plate appearances at DH as well. Where do you see yourself best fitting in with the big league club in the future? I don't know. I mean, I, I've kind of always accepted like, hey, if you if you hit, you know, you're going to you're going to force a hand. Um, so. You know, it's just like I said earlier, like you just got to focus on controlling the controllables and, you know, always focusing on yourself and like, don't worry about the other decisions because you can't control them. Um, I know next year, like second base is kind of open. Um, obviously, we have like Leary Garcia and, and guys like that. And so we were great players and, you know, it's just kind of whoever wins the job. So uh, that's been something I've been focused on this offseason, um, like double play transfers and feeds and. You know, you, you never know when you're going to get get your opportunity and it's just kind of taking it from there and uh, running with it. You know, uh, like Gavin Sheets, right? Like he gets called up, sent back down and then comes up and hit like over 10 home runs this year um, as a rookie and, you know, made himself a staple in the playoffs as well. So, um, you know, it's just kind of taking your opportunities and just rolling with the punches and, and constantly just, you know, doing your thing and uh, the rest will take care of itself. Cardinals kind of have a player in your shoes and Nolan Gorman, who they've shifted to second base. Uh, do you know, do you know Gorman very well? Or Yeah, yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the Cardinals, he, he's probably thinking these same things as, you know, he's, he's going to have to hit and, and, and he's making that transition. He got a little bit of a head start on you, but <laughs> in terms of a transition, but you got a little head start on him with the uh, getting to the majors thing. Yeah. So um, what, this is no no segue here, but what pitchers have you had to face in the minors that have some of the best stuff you've ever had to face? Hmm. I mean, the entire Durham staff was basically a big league staff. Um, it was ridiculous. <laughs> um, and so, I mean, they, they all threw like 95 plus with elite spin and uh, elite off-speed stuff. Um, I would say... Uh, Aaron Ashby, uh, with, with the Brewers, um, he's very, very hard to see, um, power sinkers at 98. Um, if you just do that pitch every time, I think he'd be okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, Libertor, is that, am I pronouncing it right? Yeah, um, Matt Libertor. he, uh, that last series, that's the only time we faced him. Um, that last series, like he, he was pumping some some chatter and he threw really well against us. So, 
Um, I would say he was, did you get to see one of his curveballs? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. He is really good. Um, so yeah, hey, no, there we go. He, he's one of the better arms I faced this year. Um, I would say those are probably the, the ones in the minors that I remember the most that, um, kind of gave me the most, most fits, um, in terms of, of my approach and what I'm supposed to do at the plate. What about the majors? Anybody who's stuff that you just didn't see well or, or, or just wowed you? Well, <laughs> I had a pinch hit opportunity against Corbin Burns. Um, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was tough. Um, three, three, pitch- a good pitcher having just a ridiculous year. Yeah. Yeah. Three pitch Ooh. strikeout. Um, bases loaded. Big <laughs> opportunity. Yeah. It was tough. Uh-huh. Um, no, he, I mean, it's just, it's something else. Um, watching him pitch and being in the box against him. And um, it was so tough because, like, I didn't really play that series that much um, because we faced all three of the righties um, and, and Woodruff, uh, Peralta, and him. And uh, so I was just pinch hitting. And Tony told me to get hot. It's like the sixth inning. Um, we're down like four runs at the time. And we scored, well, quote unquote, we score a run. But Moncada like missed home plate when he was running home. Oh, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, and so I'm on deck. Like Zach Collins is up to hit, and I'm on deck, and it's like a it's like a 15 minute like review. Like it's taking forever, oh. and I'm just sitting there like my nerves are rolling. We're in Milwaukee. <laughs> like there's 45,000 fans. Like, and I'm like, this is not going to be good. <laughs> Step in the box. I I swung at all three pitches because I'm like, I, maybe I'll connect with one. Took a really good swing on the first pitch. It was a, like a front door cutter, and I just missed it. Like I probably would have like connected with it pretty well. Um, it was the right pitch to swing at, and then um, another cutter that that moved way more than that one. Uh, started middle and, and went all the way like to the chalk on the outside, and then uh, threw a like a slurve, um, like kind of. I don't really want to call it a slider because his cutter when he wants to looks like a slider. Um, like a gotcha. slurve down and away and swung a miss, but yeah, Corbin Burns is probably the, uh, the top. And then, uh, Berrios was the other one. I, I remember, um, with that, that slider is just like ridiculous. So, um, those were the two that I remember the most. Yeah. Berrios just parlayed that slider into, to a little bit of money. this off. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> anybody who now, you talked earlier, round ball, round bat, baseball being, you know, the toughest thing to do is hitting, but anybody, any pitchers that you've seen that really, really good pitchers that, that other players have had tons of trouble hitting that you're just proud to say that you just have their number Hmm. at any level. Huh? Not that I like remember. I mean, Obviously, I've only had one year under the belt, so I don't know if I own them yet right. or not. Um, but like Pineda, I hit really well. Um, I I had four at bats against him this year, and I think I was like three for four. Um, and that was like my first extra base hit and first RBI I was off of him. Um, so I see him really well, and that bodes well if he's in the AL Central, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, I would say probably him, um, and then. Like, I, for some reason, like, I hit pretty well against the Astros um, just as a team. So, those are probably the two two teams. Um, and then Baltimore, I, I hit pretty well as well. So, um, it's funny. The, I think it's 
Eshelman, uh, Thomas Eshelman, he's uh, kind of up and down with the the Orioles. And so we faced him a lot, both in AAA, and then I faced him in the majors, um, and I hit really well against him. So, um, And it's funny because he's like a sinker slider guy, and so that's kind of what I've been used to. So um, he's like, dude, how, okay. are you, how are you hitting me that well? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody showed this to him. All right. Uh... <laughs> Uh, don't don't teach them about the upper fifth of the zone. Uh, well, Jake, that that's all the questions I had today. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, it was great to just connect with you know the Burger family through you. I got to see them all in October at my dad's celebration of life, and didn't get to see you there. So um, it, it was good to good to get to complete the uh, complete the circle there, so to yes, speak. For sure, talk no, to you again. it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll plug your uh, plug the podcast to some of my buddies too. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. Um, so uh, hopefully, I'll, I'll get to play, see you play at, at, at the K this year in in Kansas City, and and if I make it back to St. Louis, I'm gonna. I, I don't. Are you guys on the are the cards on your schedule this year? Yeah, I think we play at St. Louis. Um, at St. Louis, yeah. okay. Well, I'll try to get there during that time too. But uh, I know my mom. Uh, my mom was eyeing every one of your plate appearances and, and she was actually in Kansas city when the white Sox were in town. And it was one of those times where you were kind of in between being called up and sent down. And so like, we just kept refreshing Twitter on Saturday night or refreshing whatever to see if you had been called up for Sunday's yeah. game, because my mom was like, we're not missing this game. Like <laughs> we, we can take whoever. <laughs> so no, that, we, we will, we will definitely keep tabs. That was always <laughs> tough. Like I, I, I was supposed to like I was maybe getting called up like for the Royal series and we leave KC and then I get sent down at the Royals like right before the Royal series and it's like yeah. I have so many friends and family in Missouri I'm like gosh like I wish I would have been up there for one of those series <laughs> but you know hopefully soon. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, um on the day I see you, hopefully uh, Cardinals or the Royals uh, basically no hit the Sox except for the four that you get that day. <laughs> and um, and to everybody that listened to this, thank you for for listening to Jake, everything he had to say. Um, and I will be back soon with more conversations with Saruti with Kyle's pro- Kyle's prospect list. Um, we are up to the top 20 in the Cardinal system, so please uh, stay tuned for that. Again, I'm going to try to get those out before Christmas, but um, I have to bring this one to you first. So I'm going to get working on that. Everybody else, have a wonderful day and or wonderful night or whenever you listen to this, and we'll talk to you next time.